Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the author of Desi's Divided, The Political Lives of South Asian Americans. The book was published by the University of Minnesota Press in 2016. The author of the book is Sanjay Mishra. Sanjay, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. I remember, oh, it must have been at uh, APSA that we talked about this book, and and it was it wasn't yet out, and you were very excited about its publication. Uh, this is a subject matter that uh, I do some work in, so I read the book uh, with a lot of interest. But I think it's a book that a lot of other people are going to have an interest in is in as well. Before we get to it, maybe you could just tell uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, uh, where you've been, where you are now, where you're heading in the future. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, I am an assistant professor of political science at Drew University in New Jersey, Drew is in Madison, New Jersey. Uh, I did my PhD in political science from the University of Southern California. And uh, my, my own interest uh, is in Asian American politics, largely speaking. Within that, I look at uh, South Asians. I also look at... Uh, Muslims, broadly speaking, and my work is uh, sort of focused on South Asians in the U.S., but part of my work is also uh, to look at transnational processes, the ways in which immigrant communities create more than one political space, which is uh, beyond U.S., they create a transnational space. So that is also something which I am interested in, so I keep track of political developments in home country. And so that's, that's broadly what I do. And uh, that's my interest. Wonderful. Um, now, let's let's talk about the book and let's start at the very start of the book and with with the title. For those not familiar with the term Desi, would you start by defining that term? Um, who uses the term Desi and, and what does the term actually mean? OK, so the term Desi is uh, <clears throat> is something which comes from multiple South Asian languages. So the term is used in uh, Hindi language. It's also used in Urdu language and uh, also used in Bangla. And these are languages spoken in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. And uh, roughly speaking, the term means native, right? And so often the term has been in diaspora outside India. The term has often been used to refer to people from South Asia. And what this term allows uh, us to do is that it allows us to move beyond a uh, nation of uh, nation of origin based identity. So when when I use the term Desi, uh, I'm possibly referring to people from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. So it has that wider inclusivity which uh, <clears throat> Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi does not have. Uh, so, uh, so the term uh, comes from there, and it's, uh, it, has, it has been now being widely used by the community as well as scholars who work on South Asians. So that's how I would, uh, I would uh, define the term. Now, this may be a common term, but this is a quite varied group of people that you just described. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the main lines of difference, uh, to allude again to your title, what are the main areas of division between this community? Is it, is it primarily nationality, or is it religion, or is it culture? So tell us about some of the 
divisions that, that fit into this title of yours? Uh, <clears throat> so I would say there are multiple, uh, there are multiple axes of uh, commonality and there are axes of divisions as well. So um, nation of origin is one of the main distinctions uh, uh, which, uh, um, which South Asians group have. So we have uh, Indian Americans, Pakistani Americans uh, and Bangladeshi Americans. If I talk about three groups which I have focused on, and uh, so all these three groups are divided uh, along the lines of national origin. But uh, I would not say that uh, Indians can be demarcated from Pakistanis and Bangladeshis on the basis of religion, because um, India is, uh, I think, second or third largest country with uh, uh, um, the third largest population of Muslims. Right. And so uh, India has a large number of uh, uh, Muslims. So Indian American community is also uh, sort of constituted by uh, Muslims, right? And uh, if we look at language, then uh, uh, Urdu, which is uh, the most common language in Pakistan, Urdu is spoken by uh, Indians as well. And if we look at Bangla, Bangla is the language which Bangladeshis speak. But Bangla is a common language in India as well. People, uh, particularly in West Bengal, speak uh, Bangla. So I would say nation of origin is the is the main distinguishing feature. Beyond that, there are things which communities share, right? So share culture, they share language, uh, they share food, and they share um, a way of life which is kind of which has emerged out of a long history of uh, South Asia. So I would say. Uh, mm, commonalities are mm, many more than uh, differences, and one major uh, line of difference is nation of origin. Now, now, one of the parts of the book is is the significance of religion, and and it is an important dimension of of Desi American life. And so, how has religion shaped some of the what you describe in the book as the fractured political response to discrimination against South Asians in the post 9-11 period. Talk about how that event uh, affected the different parts of this community. So in, in my book, I, I talk about uh, mm, there's an entire chapter on post 9-11 period. And I try to uh, I try to understand the ways in which South Asians or the ACs were impacted by uh, mm, the racial hate crimes, which were triggered by uh, mm, the 9-11 events, and I, I make this argument that uh, South Asians or Desis of different uh, uh, different backgrounds, whether they were Hindus, Muslims, uh, uh, Christians, uh, uh, Sikhs, uh, they were all impacted by this wave of racial discrimination. And one of the first persons who got killed um, in the post-9-11 racial hate crime was a Sikh from India uh, named. Uh, Balbir Singh, who is uh, from, who was from Arizona, and uh, so the point I make in my book is that uh, um, South Asians were impacted irrespective of their religious uh, affiliation, and uh, uh, just just the physical feature, uh, just the brown skin color, that made them the target of uh, of uh, racial hate crime. Now, I also make this point that. When we, when we look at the ways in which South Asians were impacted, we see that 
certain communities were impacted much more than the other communities. So, for example, uh, Sikhs were uh, one of the most targeted groups because of uh, uh, their appearance, because of their religiously mandated uh, um, uh, turban and uh, flowing beard. And there are many, many instances of Sikhs being targeted as uh, um, as Muslims or as Arabs or as simply terrorists. And so we see Sikhs as one of the most important targets of uh, hate crime in that period. Uh, and then we, if, if we look at Muslims, uh, Muslims were also uh, impacted in a big way. And Muslims were not only impacted by hate crimes out on the streets by the public, but they were also impacted by the ways in which uh, law enforcement agencies were targeting Muslim communities. Uh, and uh, detaining them, interrogating them, and deporting some of them uh, on a very flimsy grounds, uh, right? So, so we see that uh, even though the entire community was impacted—Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs—communities uh, uh, were impacted uh, differently. Uh, now, in the chapter, I also talk about the ways in which they reacted to uh, racial discrimination. Uh, to hate crime. And in that, I I make this point that there were two kinds of reaction. One kind of reaction was to, to bring everyone together, uh, to build a coalition, to build a coalition of uh, uh, Indian, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Hindu, Muslim, Sikhs, and uh, protest against racial discrimination, mobilize against racial discriminations. And groups like uh, SALT, uh, in D.C., Drum in New York City, a fan in Los Angeles, they tried to build that pan-ethnic coalition. They also reached out to Arab communities. They also reached out to other Asian American communities. So you have that kind of response, uh, which uh, which was much more pan-ethnic, which was much more uh, sort of uh, mm, appealing to the broader South Asian or Desi identity. There was other kind of uh, reaction or response, which was much more worrying, and part of my book talks about that, that that, uh, that Hindu American community, even though it was racialized, it was seen as suspicious, but one trend within the Hindu American community was to, uh, to foreground its Hindu identity and to suggest that we are not Muslims and um, we are distinct from Muslim communities. So even though we are South Asians, we are brown, but we are different and hence trying to distance themselves from uh, the community which was uh, targeted, uh, right? So, so there was that kind of response which was, uh, uh, which was very distinct. Uh, and uh, then we also see that early on, even within Sikh community, there was this uh, response where a large number of uh, Sikh individuals uh, and other organizations. Initially, this started off with this reaction that uh, Sikhs are not Muslims, and uh, this is a uh, this is a case of mistaken identity, right? And 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 there was an attempt to to uh, to distance Sikhs from uh, Muslims. In later period, uh, Sikh organizations uh, realized that this is not the right track to take, and then they sort of started working with Muslim organizations, with uh, Arab organizations. But, but there was 
there was a very distinct trend uh, within Sikh community also and still is there where uh, the attempt is to sort of uh, foreground Sikh identity and say that we are not uh, Muslims, right? So, uh, so there was a trend of distinct mobilization along the lines of religious identity, uh, Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, and um, that sort of indicated that the community was much more fractured along the lines of religious identity and uh, any wider mobilization which unifies the entire community would have to deal with this religious fracture. I'm not, uh, I'm not making uh, uh, the point in my book that uh, that kind of mobilization is not possible or it has not been done, but I, mm, uh, I, I make this point that we have to acknowledge uh, these two distinct trends within the community uh, which suggest that religion is could be a major uh, line of fracture within the community. And here I want to very quickly uh, uh, bring uh, the transnational dimension of this whole mobilization where uh, politics around country of origin, uh, uh, the contestation or the hostility between India and Pakistan, Pakistan and Bangladesh, all of that comes into play and um, also the kind of politics which is going on in India right now for the last 10 years, uh, the emergence of uh, Hindu nationalist politics in India, which has risen on the basis of targeting Muslims uh, in major ways, uh, that has created a, a politics around uh, dividing communities. And that has also then looped into the kind of mobilization that we see in the U.S., uh, so those are the ways in which uh, I, I talk about uh, religious fracture and I talk about how a unified Desi or South Asian mobilization has uh, challenges uh, which are coming from, uh, from the arena of religious identity. Now, let's take this up to the current election that we're in the midst of. Who are some of the prominent members of the community that are that are shaping politics in, in 2016? Is this a community that has um, uh, particular leaders that, that are, are a part of the presidential campaign or maybe will be a part of the congressional campaigns as we move towards November? So tell us about uh, what's going on right now. So I would say... Um there are no there are no major leaders in the community, uh, particularly in the electoral arena, who who uh, who shape the community politics. Uh, the people who are uh, most prominent, uh, who who are most well known uh, South Asians or Indian Americans, uh, they have uh, ended up not making that kind of connection to the South Asian community. And here I am referring to uh, one of the one of the uh, presidential contenders who dropped out early on, Bobby Jindal, uh, um, uh, the ex-governor of Louisiana. And uh, so he was somebody who was one of the prominent persons uh, um, uh, from the community, but uh, but he never he never built a politics which was in any way connected to the politics of South Asian. He always distanced 
himself from South Asian community and he always presented himself in a very, very de-racialized way. Uh, right. So, um, so if there is somebody who is well known, that person is not connected to how community is mobilizing. Same, same, uh, same thing goes uh, for uh, governor of uh, South Carolina, uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, she's also well known, but she's also not connected to uh, the politics of South Asians, and her politics is also um, also built on a very different kind of a deracialized mm-hmm. appeal. Uh, now, now, does does that have? Let me just follow up just for a second. Does does that have anything to do with with state politics? The the two of them are are in um, some some pretty. Um, uh, particular uh, state uh, political environments, Louisiana right. and South Carolina, respectively. Right. Does does the ways in which they have de-emphasized that part of their identity have anything to do with with where South Asians live in the country and where they're likely to be powerful electoral blocks? I, where where I live, it would be hard for a candidate not to take advantage of the large South Asian community. Right. Tell us maybe just a little bit about the dispersion across the country and, and how that might relate to uh, candidate success or, or failure. Right. So, uh, no, you raise, you raise a very good point. And I completely agree that uh, in, uh, in South Carolina or Louisiana, they cannot imagine doing a politics which has appeal to South Asians or which has a racial content. But uh, one has to sort of, uh, one has to acknowledge that, uh, that, that, uh, certain kinds of localities produce a particular kind of politics. So they are representing a particular kind of politics and that politics has been shaped by where they are. Uh, and, uh, and in a way, uh, their politics is, uh, is, uh, is shaped by who they are and where they are. And, 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 and because of that, they, they can never represent a South Asian community in that way. Now, moving on to your uh, second part of your question, where are South Asians concentrated? I think South Asian, the hub of South Asian community is uh, New York, New Jersey area, uh, California, particularly Northern California, but increasingly Southern California is also becoming a major hub. And then you have a large uh, South Asian community in uh, in Chicago, um, and uh, uh, you also have a, a very uh, fast-growing community in. Uh, uh, Washington D.C. area, Maryland, Washington D.C. area. Uh, now, the, about the representation, I think uh, we are we are seeing two kinds of trends again within South Asian community. One kind of trend is that of trying to uh, trying to gain representation from places where there is some uh, uh, some level of uh, concentration of South Asians, uh, right? So. We have had South Asian candidates contesting from Northern California. Uh, we have had uh, candidates uh, trying to contest at the local level in New York also. Uh, and, and, and they are, uh, they have passion, a very different kind of politics where they're trying to reach out to South Asian community. But uh, I have noticed in, and I, in my book, I have described that in, in greater detail. I have noticed that within South Asian community, we have we are seeing a trend where uh, South Asian Americans, particularly Indian Americans, have been trying to gain representation from areas which are uh, primarily white majority areas. So we have examples of 
representation at state level in uh, um, Ohio, in Kansas, in Iowa, in uh, um, uh, very wide uh, um, electoral districts in Pennsylvania. Uh, and in my book, I give a table of candidates who have co contested from uh, those uh, um, uh, electoral districts, and they have also succeeded in some cases. So we we see a trend of, of representation among South Asians where they're trying to uh, gain representation from a white majority district, and they present themselves as uh, deracialized candidates and uh, candidates who can who are. Um, talented, well-educated, who can solve problems and who um, who do not have to reach out to South Asians for uh, their votes. So we see that kind of trend also. And uh, so in my book, I talk about this conundrum that uh, if, if South Asians end up ge getting representation from those electoral districts, then that would mean that they would not reach out to uh, rank and find South Asians. They would not mobilize rank and find South Asians. And so, one of the one of the assumptions of ethnic politics is that when when ethnic candidates get representation, that is linked to the mobilization of ethnic community. And in case of South Asians getting represented from a white majority district, that kind of trend is not visible. So, um, so that is something that. Uh, have observed among South Asians. That is a phenomena that has been observed among Asian Americans also, and that needs uh, further research, further probing, and and the ways in which uh, we need to understand that in greater details. Yeah, but again, the name of the book, uh, Daisy's Divided, The Political Lives of South Asian Americans, published by the University of Minnesota Press. Sanjay Mishra, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed talking to you.